Well, we started a series a couple weeks ago called You're Not Far, and I've been excited about this. I've been enjoying teaching it. Um, hopefully, you're all learning a lot. Today's topic is sick or healthy, if I was to ask you with that question. Um, physically, most of you could say, yeah, I'm sick or I'm, I'm healthy, or probably more importantly, spiritually. So I want to start talking about a pull that seems to be prevalent in all religion, including Christianity. And that's a pull, we're going to use the term, to behavioral conformity. That means, uh, okay, if I'm going to be part of the, this group or that group, what, do I, what can I do and what can I do? What are the rules? What are the expectations? What, what can I say and what can I say? Um, and if you're on the outside looking at a group, some of the stuff may seem to be weird, and certain pledges and certain things and certain organizations just seems to be weird. Now, when you're on the inside of that, it just seems kind of, kind of natural. You don't even notice it. Um, I shared one in the first service that church I grew up in, uh, there was a church covenant in our, in our hymn book that said, among other things, you couldn't partake of alcoholic beverages. And so that's just what I grew up uh, believing and knowing. And then I got to reading my Bible as an adult and realized, well, that's not in the Bible. And so, um, that's not a requirement to be part of this church here, but that was a part of that requirement, the church. So, it's just, just kind of a little weird, isn't it? Uh, it wasn't harmful, but things can be harmful. And so, that's the things we need to really be careful. And, and Jesus is going to address some of those uh, tendencies to be, uh, to be behavioral conformity, hard word to say, um, in his religion, which was Judaism in the first century. Because what happens is uh, when you're outside of those rules or you don't follow the rules, if you, don't, if you do something you're not supposed to do, it leads to uh, judgmentalism and, and condemnation. And that was what Jesus was addressing in the first century. I remember some years ago, um, a guy came to church here and he had long sleeves and long pants on and uh, kind of... Normal, didn't, didn't expect anything, expect anything. But eventually he started wearing short sleeves and we found out he had these tattoos all over his arms. And eventually he started wearing shorts and he had tattoos all over his legs. And when he took the, eventually took the membership class, he said, you know, I w- didn't know. Can somebody, are you, can you be on the inside of this church and have tattoos? You don't know until you experience it and, and uh, interact with it. So, we're going to start with kind of the key verse for the day's topic, and then we're going to go through the narrative. We're in a a study of a uh, a gospel, a book of the Bible, and the verse we want to center on is this, and Jesus said to them, and we'll read the context in a few minutes, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath, and what had happened, and that's one of the Ten Commandments. And it boiled down to this second statement. People had to meet the requirements. So in first century Judaism, there were all kinds of do's and don'ts on the Sabbath, mostly don'ts. And the Sabbath was like everything. It was like the most important thing to a first century Jew. And Jesus came along and said, you don't understand my father's intention. You don't understand my father's mindset. You don't understand my my father's uh, will for you. And uh, I came 
cross that. I thought a beautiful illustration. It's not original with me to explain this verse because to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, in fact, um, we were missionary. Uh, let's see. We were married for one year, and then we began ministry, pastoring. And then after about six years, uh, we went locally pastor. Then about six years, we were with our international mission board called Foreign Mission Board back then, missionaries to Portugal. So about the 13th year of our marriage, we uh, um, are having issues. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. But the other thing was, when we left this country, grocery stores weren't open on Sunday. That was considered our Sabbath here in, in Christianity. Uh, in 19, that was 1984. In 1989, we came back, grocery stores were open. So laws about our Sabbath here in the United States had changed. So here's the illustration. See if this connects with you. Nobody has children, so there'll be someone to play with the toys. Anybody do that? Uh, I don't think we had toys before our kids were born. One of the fun things to do once our kids were born, especially at Christmas time, is go to toy stores and buy toys for the kids. But nobody says, oh, well, we'll be better buy some toys, and since we had the toys, we need to have kids to play with them. And so that's how they had twisted or gotten the, 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 one of the Ten Commandments backwards. So application would be this. God didn't create you and I, didn't create us, to be someone to keep his rules. So God didn't make all these rules and say, well, there's got to be people to keep the rules. We better create people. You know, he created people, then he created rules to help the people not to harm the people. That's going to be really important because the way they had twisted the Sabbath was harmful to people. So another way of saying it's this. God loves you and I more than he loves his commandments. The commandments are to help people. The commandments aren't to harm people or, or uh, make more, life more difficult for people. Another way to say that is God is for us, not against us. And when we get that reversed which often happens in all religions, then it, it hurts people. So when the rules start hurting people, we've misapplied the rules. And he would say, once you do that, you're on the wrong side of God. You're on the opposite of God because God's purpose is to love or benefit his people. So in this study, we've, we've got three main characters. Of course, the main character is Jesus. Not any Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth that lived 2,000 years ago. Um, so he's the main character. The, the, the book we're studying or the, in the Bible is called The Gospel of Mark. But Mark's writing it, but it's not Mark's story, which is fascinating. It's Simon Peter's story, one of Jesus' most famous disciples, the first one he called. And uh, most of us know him as Peter. And at the time of this writing or reciting, Peter didn't, probably couldn't read and write, um, probably 30 years after Jesus and Peter's been a preacher all this time. He's locked up in prison in Rome. History tells us he never, he never leaves. He's executed. Uh, so he's dictating this to a guy named John Mark. So the gospel is called the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's writing it down. He's been traveling with Peter for a couple of years. He was actually a, a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. Um, and something really important to remember, especially if you kind of have some 
reservations or doubts about what we call the Bible is this. Mark wasn't writing the Bible, was he? What was he writing? He was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. So Peter's just reciting, okay, you know, as we read reading through this text, you know, Jesus went here and he did this and he said this and so forth. So this is a historical document. This is an experience of real people in a real time in a real place. It's not till like 300 years later this thing that we call a Bible was created. And so it took Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel and John's gospel, four stories about the life of Christ, uh, the life of the early church, history of the early church. Paul, uh, a missionary, wrote a lot of stuff, partly historical, partly uh, theological. Uh, Peter wrote some of it. John wrote some of it. And 300 years later, a group of people got together and, and, and put that together with what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, and created what we call the Bible. So the church went on for like 300 years without the Bible. But the most important thing for us when we read this is it wasn't written as quote-unquote Bible. <laughs> this was documenting Peter's experience, truth, true life experiences. Now, we also asked the question in this series, what was Jesus' bottom line? What was Jesus' message, bot- uh, summation of his message? What was he trying to get across to the people? And I said it's different from us now because our bottom line is what we celebrate on Easter, which is coming up, uh, is the resurrection of Jesus. Well, obviously that couldn't have been Jesus' message because he hadn't even died yet, much less be resurrected. So here in, in chapter 1 of Mark, um, Peter gives us the summation of what Jesus' preaching was about. It is fascinating it's because he said, the time promised by God has come at last. They've been waiting for what they called the Messiah, the promised one of God, the anointed one of God. They've been waiting over a thousand years. It's a long time for this Messiah. And he said, time promised by God has come at last. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Now, this isn't, they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom. Jesus was going to throw out the Romans, the Messiah was, and set up his earthly kingdom on earth. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is near, but it's not what you think. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a kingdom of the inside. It's a kingdom of the spirit. It's a kingdom of, of the heart and mind. It's a kingdom of the conscience. And it's near. It's not far away. Sometimes we think of God's way out there so far away. He says, no, that, no. You can be, be connected to God. Uh, God's kingdom is near. It's close. It's not far. Response is twofold. Repent of your sins, which we would still teach today. And of course, um, accepting Jesus' gift of salvation to forgive us our sin. But there could be forgiveness of sin before Jesus. Uh, but it wasn't just forgiveness of sin. It was a change of direction, a change of mind. Repent means to turn around. So look at things. You used to look at things this way. We're going to look at things differently. And of course, consequently, that would result in belief in belief in what? He calls it good news. We all like good news. Now, if you've been uh, involved in Christianity for a while, or maybe you're involved in Christianity for a while and, and, and got away from it, maybe you've rejected Christianity because it seemed like bad news. Well, that is bad Christianity. Because <laughs> Christianity is what? It's called the gospel. The word means good news. So if it's not good news to you, you 
quote-unquote got it wrong. <laughs> and um, we'd love to help you get it right, so to speak, or, or share with you how it is good news. Now, this is historical, so we, it's geographical, so we've been showing you a map every week. And so we'll quickly go through that again. 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel looked like this. For those of you who are here at home, you have to look at the map. Divided into three areas. In the south was Judea, where Jerusalem is, where eventually the, the central act of Christianity happens. Jesus, arrest, crucifixion, resurrection. So it's down um, in that lower area. On the west is the Mediterranean Sea. On the east is in the north the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea at the, at, at the south. Uh, Galilee, where a lot of these events happen in, in Jesus' early ministry, because that's where he's from. town of Nazareth is up in that yellow part called Galilee. And no Jew liked to go through Samaria. There's one story where Jesus went through there, but Jews avoided that area because they were mixed breed people. And so a lot of this stuff happens in Capernaum, which is a city on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to pick up the story where Jesus is walking along the shoreline. So I'll give you some context uh, of the story. So we're going to pick up where I left off last week because <laughs> it'll get us to where we're going this week. So we talked about this last week. This is pretty fascinating. As Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of like a lake. He saw a guy named Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at tax collector's books. And as we said, tax collectors were the most despised people in their society. Again, I don't know who we'd put in that category, but most despised, all right? Nobody else lower. And he says to Levi, same thing he said to uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He's got four disciples at this point, four followers, main followers. He says same thing, same invitation he gives to Levi. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these were good guys, hardworking guys. They were fishermen. They probably were good Jews. They went to the synagogue, trying to bait all the... Levi's not like that. <laughs> Levi wasn't keeping the uh, Jewish uh, law. He wasn't even trying to keep the Jewish law. He was more concerned about money than anything else. And consequently, he was a traitor to his country, probably rich, but uh, completely disconnected from Judaism. And Jesus goes up to this guy. I mean, he was Jewish by birth. He says to him, follow me and be my disciple, just like he said to these four good guys. And the disciples, at this point, the four, had a decision to make. Because you are judged by the, the company you keep, correct? All of us are. And so they have to decide, Am I, do I want to keep company with the most despised person in town? Now, obviously, they had made the decision. They had seen too much. They had heard too much about Jesus to abandon him at this point. So they're willing to take the risk of being associated with, again, the most despicable guy in town. Um, there was four of them plus Jesus. That's five to one odds, but still. Now, I never know if you thought about this, but if somebody comes to you and says, follow me, be my disciple, What's your response going to be? Mine's going to be, where are we going? <laughs> right? Where are you taking me? Um, and so as we read the, continue to read the text, it's fascinating where initially Jesus 
takes him. Because if you think this situation was bad for Matthew, Mark, um, not Matthew, Mark, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, things are going to get a whole lot worse. So the text goes on. <clears throat> later, we don't know later that day or maybe the next day, but not too much later. Levi, so Jesus invited Levi to follow him. So Levi kind of returns the invitation and says, hey, why don't you come to my house? And bring along your disciples. Come to my house and be my dinner guest. Have a meal with me. Now, what, what's the issue here? What's the problem here? Well, to be invited or accept an invitation to somebody's house was a very intimate activity in their day. It's pretty intimate now. Um, and it signaled an acceptance. You wouldn't go to somebody's house you, that you didn't find acceptable. Um, so, this is an invite, and it, it's kind of a lesson for you and I. <laughs> um, who do we invite? Are there certain people we consider uninvitable? Uh, according, according to this, this illustration, there's nobody uh, outside of, uh, that we should, uh, our ability or desire to invite. But that wasn't all, that only, it wasn't just Levi there. Evidently, Levi invited his co-workers which would be more tax collectors, right? <laughs> and so now the disciples are faced with a challenge of not just associating with one of the despicable people in town, but now a group of these despicable people. And it wasn't just more tax collectors. There were some other disreputable sinners, whatever category that is, uh, because those type of people kind of tend to hang out together, kind of like today, I would assume. Now, here's an interesting statement by, in this, in this uh, account. There were many people of this kind. What kind? Disreputable sinners among Jesus' followers. So this wasn't just an exception. This wasn't just one of a kind or a couple. They, this was a general group. Many of these people that were Jesus' followers. So this was, we can't comprehend how this disturbing this is to a quote-unquote good Jew. We're going to find out how disturbing it is to the religious leaders. Uh, the text goes on. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees in this case, now this is interesting because they're from down in Jerusalem, so they've made the 90-mile trek. Today it's no big deal. We travel that an hour and a half, two hours. This would took days to travel. But Jesus, as we talked about, was drawing crowds, and so... These religious leaders were concerned about who this guy was that was drawing these crowds. <clears throat> now, important note, note here. Um, Levi didn't invite them, but it wouldn't have made any difference if he had invited them because they wouldn't have gone into his house. Because again, they didn't want anybody to be associated with, they didn't want to get... Be, become unclean by associating with somebody's unclean so they wouldn't have went inside the house. So religious leaders are outside. Jesus and all these disreputable people are in the inside. <clears throat> they asked the question, though, of the disciples. Either they were the disciples were going in and out or somewhere out, outside, we don't know. Why does he, meaning Jesus, eat with such, this translation is a really strong word, scum? That's what they thought of these people. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> scum. So they asked the question of the disciples. Now, 
one way to look at this question is this. Why does he eat with them and not eat with us? He'll eat with disreputable people, but he won't eat with us. That had to be hard for them to accept. So Jesus obviously knows what's going on. So he hears this, and he he uses this beautiful illustration. Simple to understand. He heard this question, well, why was he eating with, with the scum? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Yeah, in a sense, when I'm healthy, I don't go to the doctor, and you probably don't either, unless you're hypochondriac, I guess. <laughs> healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You get sick, if you get sick enough, we go to the doctor. <clears throat> Everybody understands this illustration, right? Now, if you're Levi or one of his, somebody else, of the guests, and you're listening to this response of Jesus, are you understanding what Jesus is saying? What's he saying? You guys are sick. I don't think he said it that way. (laughs) But that's what he said. And evidently, he said it in such a way that it was acceptable to them. As we know, Levi became one of his disciples. They were ready to admit these sinners in in his house, that they were sinners, that they were sick. So I want to stop here in our our narrative and ask you an important question. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit you need help? And the answer is no. None of us know, do we? What hangs in the balance of our refusal to admit we need help, whether it's spiritual help, physical help, we have some kind of addiction, uh, relationship help, whatever. In fact, I'll give you an example, and some, some of you have heard me share this. Uh, as I said earlier, we're 13 years into ministry. We've been in a, on the mission field for six years, and we were not getting along. We didn't like each other. Uh, there was no other people involved, but we just didn't like each other. Um, but I'm a, a pastor. I'm counseling other people. I think, well, I... I, this should work out or I should figure this out, right? So finally I got to a place where my wife actually threatened to leave me. <laughs> and what she should have done, uh, threatened me at least anyway. And so I, I, I finally admitted that we needed help and we went to counseling. And we've been to counseling since then. Now here's the question. What is the level of your relationships? Because that's what we're dealing with. So our relationship is great now. It was not very good, maybe even horrible back then. But through seeking help, admitting we needed help, getting help, we have a much greater relationship now. So again, you have no idea. We, I, I wouldn't have been able to raise my kids. Uh, my wife and I wouldn't be at this age in our relationship together. We, you have no, we, none of us know what hangs in the balance of our decision to admit and then obviously seeking out help. So, use this illustration, this, the sick need a doctor, not for those who are well. And then he goes on to explain it clearly. He said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, very important word, <laughs> 
but those who know they are sinners. Now, that word call means to invite. That's all it means, to invite. So Jesus said, I invite. Now, <clears throat> we've got these four disciples of Jesus. They think they're pretty good guys, right? <laughs> we've got the religious leaders outside that definitely think they're good guys or righteous people. So Jesus said, I didn't come for those people. I've come to those who know they're sinners. The issue is we're all sinners, right? <laughs> Just some of us don't know it or refuse to admit it. Now, interesting thing about religion back then, <clears throat> um, Judaism as well, pagan religions, nobody evangelized. You know, if you were a, uh, some Greek religion, you didn't try and ban, uh, evangelize people who found some Roman religion. You didn't do it that way. <clears throat> Juda, Juda, Jude, <clears throat> Judaism didn't seek to evangelize people. If you wanted to become a Jew, you could jump through their loops, hoops, loops, <laughs> and become one. And it was difficult, but you could do it. <clears throat> what they would do um, was say you, had a, you worshiped a god of some agriculture and you had really good crops and I didn't. So I say, well, tell me about this god. I'm going to add him to my group of gods. And so you would add on gods to accomplish the quality of life that you desired. And so Jesus says, oh, okay. I'm not um, asking you to add me <laughs> to your pantheon of gods or if you're Judaism, to add me to Judaism. I'm inviting you to leave whatever religion it is, including Judaism, and embrace my good news, my gospel, my uh, kingdom. This is going to be critical as we see what Jesus said. So he gives us two fascinating illustrations. I think the first one's easier for me to understand than the second because I don't think we really, I, I don't have experience with the second one. So here's how he's going to explain this. He says, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving even bigger tear than before. Now, growing up, we were poor. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money for clothes. So we did a lot of, my mom did a lot of patching. <clears throat> um, but back then, clothes were really expensive. So you put patches on top of patches, but you had to do it right, right? So new cloth shrinks. Once it's shrunk, then it's fine. So you patch your old clothes with patches that are already shrunk. Otherwise, it's going to make a bigger hole, right? I even understand that, and I don't sew. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can't tweak Judaism. You can't add me to Judaism. You need to replace it with something new. So then he uses an illustration about wine. <laughs> and I don't have any experience with this. But he says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. So evidently, Wine, when it's um, aging, expands. So you need to put it in, in leather that will stretch. And old leather gets hard and, and brittle, so it, it breaks. So if you try and mix the old with the new, everything's lost. The skin busts and the wine is lost, so it's a lose-lose situation. So you need to put new with new. So his simple word I'm going to try and use to explain what Jesus is saying. Incompatible. 
Judaism is incompatible with my kingdom, my gospel. You can't try and blend them. You can't try and mix them. They're incompatible, either one or the other. And this kingdom is going to be called the ecclesia. We call it church, which means, doesn't mean a building. It means a group of Jesus followers. That's us. So after this fascinating encounter, uh, we're going to skip an, uh, an event where Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they pick some grain. It just happens to be on the Sabbath. It was legal to do that if you were hungry. Legal to pick the grain. It wasn't religiously legal to pick it on Sunday. It was called harvesting. It was working. It was breaking the Sabbath. And so that's where we got that verse where Jesus said, well, the Sabbath is, is for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then we're going to pick it up on chapter 3 in Mark's account, Peter's account, written by Mark. Jesus again goes into the synagogue and he notices a man with a deformed hand. Now, if you have a deformed hand, are you holding it out here like this for everybody to see? Now, you're probably like this, right? So it's fascinating to me that Jesus noticed the man's deformed hand. Somehow, he was aware of it. And just as he was aware of this man's needs, he's aware of your needs and my needs. Now, since it was the Sabbath, that's when you went to the synagogue. For them, it would be Saturday, obviously. Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Jesus already has enemies. Here's what they're thinking. If he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Because healing is work, and work is against the rules on the Sabbath, right? Now, let me explain something. Basically, everything was excluded to do on the Sabbath, except if it was life and death. If you're drowning, I could go and help. I could rescue you. (laughs) That was permissible. If you're sick, I can't help you. Life and death, I can help you. That's it. That's about it. Otherwise, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. So the text goes on. He turned to his critics and asked, All right, let's get this down to the bottom line. (laughs) Says to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of me. Now, if you've got a deformed hand, where's the last place you want to be? In front of people, right? So, some of you wouldn't want to be standing up here, (laughs) even if you're healthy. So, he calls the man up front. So, he's got this, again, I'm, I'm assuming he's hiding. He's not wanting to be embarrassed. But it seems to be an embarrassing situation, doesn't it? Um, Did I read that text? Back up, I think. No, we read that one. Okay, go ahead. Turn to his critics and ask. Bottom line. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or destroy it? Okay, that's bottom line. Uh, It's not about this little... Do or don't, or this little do or don't. Is it about good or evil? Saving or destroying? Uh, Is it just about honoring the rules or keeping the rules? Or is it about something more important? Now, they don't answer. I've got to think about this. Sometimes, as parents, uh, we'll we'll ask our kids a question about something that has an obvious answer, and they know if they agree with you, they condemn themselves. So what do they do? They just pout, don't they? (laughs) They, they? They don't say anything. And that's kind of the way these 
these uh, religious leaders uh, responded. <clears throat> so the question is, are the laws for the benefit of God or for the benefit of those God loves? So Jesus, text goes on. <clears throat> he looks around at them. He gets angry. Anger's okay, righteous anger. <clears throat> Most of us don't do it right, <laughs> don't do it righteously. Uh, and then he says he's deeply saddened at their hard hearts. So first they put these laws above people. The laws are more important than the people or the needs of people. And then he sees that you're, <clears throat> as I put this, you're refusing to accept the truth. I don't know about you, when I talk to somebody and I'm sharing what I think is truth of them, it's hard when somebody refuses to accept. They have no argument, but they refuse to accept the truth for whatever reason. Now, everybody believes what they believe for some, some reason. They think it's a good reason. <clears throat> so it's hard. It's frustrating. So then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretches out his hand in front of everybody, and all of a sudden it's healed. He's restored. Now, what's going to be the natural reaction of most folks there? And that's amazing. This is great. You know, because they're all friends, neighbors. <clears throat> and, uh, but not the religious leaders. What was their response? At once, immediately, they went away, <laughs> met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Now, this is mind-blowing. They just got upset about healing somebody on the Sabbath, and they're, on the Sabbath, they are planning to kill somebody, in this fact, Jesus. Why? Because he refused to say, we can blend your Judaism with my kingdom. So, <clears throat> Jesus said to them, that was our key verse, remember? The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And that, isn't what we... Good parents do. You just don't make rules to make your kids miserable. I hope you don't. <laughs> you make rules because you love them and want to protect them. Don't play in the street. Don't touch the stove. Whatever it might be. So God's our good parent. So just two more verses and then, and then we'll finish up. Skipping down to verse, verse 20. Something just really bizarre happens. <laughs> so Jesus, again, he's entered a house. The crowds begin to gather around. And it got so hectic that they couldn't even find time to eat. And then Mary and some of his family members show up. Now, this, most of you probably don't know this next verse is in the Bible. <laughs> it's in this text, but here it is. The family heard what was happening. They tried to take him away. And here's what they said. He's out of his mind. Jesus, you're crazy is what they said. Now, I'll just ask you a simple question. Why do you think this is in the Bible? If I'm John Mark and I'm writing this down, I would say, Peter... You sure you want that in there? It sure doesn't, doesn't look very good about your family, about Jesus' family. So why is the only reason it's in here? Because that's what happened. So Jesus came to establish something new. And this new thing wasn't far away. It wasn't hard to get to. It was something near. And he invites you and he invites I, myself, into his kingdom. Now, Levi, who we know as Matthew, wrote a gospel. And this one made me mindful of something he wrote. Um, so I'm going to read it real quickly here at the end. This is in uh, his gospel. Something beautiful. 
Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You seeking rest, needing rest, do you feel weary? He says, take my yoke or my responsibility on you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. So if I'm humble and gentle at heart, what am I going to teach you? I'm going to teach you humbly and gently, right? And consequently, you'll find rest for your souls. Deep rest. Now notice this. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. That describes good news, right? So if your version of Christianity doesn't sound like that, again, you have the wrong version of Christianity. And we'd love to help you find it. So here's a couple think about. So I'm going to divide it into two categories. So if you consider yourself not a Jesus follower at this point, for whatever reason, we're glad that you watched, we're glad you're present. You're a sinner, we're all sinners. But you are invited to follow Jesus, to enter into a relationship. It doesn't matter how long you've been a, a distance from God or no matter what you've done, you're invited. You could be the scum of society, right? <laughs> right? And you're invited. We'd love to help you with that. Many of us are already Jesus followers. So what's the invitation here? It's to yield to Jesus. Not to a list of rules, but to a person. A person that loves us. I was driving around yesterday. I was at a place I'm not usually driving. I'm coming onto a ramp on the interstate, and there's a yield sign there. And since it's a place I'm not used to, I'm, you know, you have to watch the signs. And so I had to yield because there was about six cars getting on this ramp ahead of me. And so consequently, I yield for their safety and my safety. And when all the cars were and I, and I went on my way. If I hadn't yielded, I would have collided with one of those vehicles. They would have collided with me. And so when you and I are kind of colliding with Jesus, you and I need to yield to him, not expect him to yield to us. Next week, we're going to get into Mark 6, 6 through 8. I invite you to read that ahead of time. But if you're not a Jesus follower at this point, I just want you to understand, I know that you're not comfortable with Jesus. And Jesus understands that. So let me just tell you this. Jesus is comfortable with you. And he'll be comfortable with you until you become comfortable with him. Let me pray with you. Ah, Father God, thank you. We thank you so much for these narratives. Uh, they're, they're, they're so uh, clear and uh, convicting. Um, and we can't help believe it's true because it's just not very flattering to the characters in the story. Nobody's going to write that unless it's true. So I want to first pray for those that may not be Jesus followers. Today would be the day that you understand that God is comfortable with you, no matter how sinful you might consider yourself. And He still invites you to follow. He still will accept the invitation to your home, into your life, into your heart. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, yield. Probably got all areas, all of us have some area of our lives where we're not yielding. Maybe it's in that area of seeking help. Uh, I've got an addiction or uh, my marriage isn't good or my relationship with my kids isn't good. Yield. You don't know what's at stake if you don't ask for help. 
And Father God, we thank you for your grace. This is all your grace. You love us just as we are. Nothing's going to change that. Thank you, Jesus. She loved us enough to die for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.